Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast. Today's guest is Josh Trent. He is the founder of Wellness Force Media, host of the Wellness and Wisdom Podcast, and the creator of Breathe, a breath and wellness program. We talk about the nature and reality of dark spirits, what they are, and how to protect yourself against them. I hope you love today's episode. It's really helpful for anyone entering the spiritual side of reality. Please leave a review if you liked it. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Josh, I'm going to start with a kind of broad question and work from there. What issue in modern culture do you perceive to be the most detrimental to our well-being? Well, I would say it's uh, the Native American vi- mind virus. It's called Wetiko. I just started dispelling Wetiko. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Paul Levy, yeah. classic. So for people that don't know, Wetiko is a virus that attaches to a host and sometimes they're conscious of it. But many times, unfortunately, with Wetiko, uh, people are unconscious of it. And that virus becomes a dictator of human behavior, thought, and emotion that guides people towards disconnection. And it further perpetuates the illusion of separation and disconnection, which essentially is what we're dealing with now on Instagram and social media and politics and war. It's Watiko completely out in the open for everybody to see. But Watiko has been normalized, Lucas. It's been normalized. And I think the greatest issue that faces us in this modern time is actually something that the ancients and the ancient teachers knew for millennia. And it was inside of me, there is darkness inside of me, there is light. And if I'm able to own both of those and be humble and be vulnerable about the fact that both of those live inside of you and me, then there's nothing that could ever be uh, further from the truth that the origin of all things is love because the only way love knows itself is by hate and fear. The only way light knows itself is through its opposite, which is darkness. So I think Watiko is here to stay, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to describe it. And I think the only way, man, that we're going to heal this, this mind virus, is if we're just open and honest about the fact that it fucking exists in the first place and stop playing this game of like, well, you're this way and you believe in this and I believe in that and you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. It's all fucking bullshit, as you know. But it's Watiko in complete perfect form, uh, educating us about what we pretend not to know about ourselves. Yeah, and Carl Jung said that, I'm pushing the quote, but the idea was that evil is the greatest perpetrator of spiritual awakenings. That we kind of, that people awaken to love and light from so much darkness. That's my experience. I'm sure it's yours too, that yes. being in the immense demonic possession, dread, you know, the worst things you can imagine force me to find the light. And I think, I think that's like the evil beauty of the evil and, and the fact that it can waken us to, to deep light. Yeah. The evil beauty of the evil. That's true. Yeah. Right. Because if you think about this, and, and this is something that Paul, the, the author of the book you're reading, which by the way, you're going to love that book. It's completely badass. It's one of my favorite books. Read it though, when you're in the right headspace to read it for large chunks at a time. It's not, it's not a book you want to just like read a page and then go play racquetball. <laughs> like yeah. you really want to dedicate yourself to it. But one of the things Paul says in his uh, teachings is that, you know, encapsulated inside of the Watiko itself, encapsulated inside of the evil is actually the loving solution that's wanting to be healed or that's wanting to not be in chaos. Another quote, since you mentioned young is chaos cannot live in perpetuity. Eventually all chaos will find order, mm-hmm. but it either finds it through loving beings, through elevated conversations like this, or it finds it through more and more pain. Personally, I'd rather go the easier route. I don't want to just push push myself and put myself in pain so much 
that there's other ancillary deleterious things that can happen. I'd rather just take stock of my environment, go 30,000 feet above uh, our society and myself and look down with some wisdom and some life experience and say, how can I actually shorten the pain curve of my own evolution? Knowing that pain is part of it. I'm not trying to get away from pain. But what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be so hard. I think we've been sold this story about our spiritual development and about our personal maturation, that it's got to be blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, there's seasons for that. But if we just had winter 24-7, 365, we wouldn't know what summer was. Mm -hmm. In other words, we need the balance of like not having our healing and our maturation as a human and as a society be so incredibly soul-sucking and so difficult because we're not designed for that. We're designed to go through seasons. And I think that's a really big part of growth and maybe even in Paul's teachings that he talks about and in Young as well. Um, it doesn't have to be so hard all the time. We can be a little more gentle, a little more kinder to ourselves in the process of up-leveling, of ascending. If you Yeah, well, I think fear, toughness, and like shame are the the energies of Botico, right? Like that's their game. Yeah. And what my, my guru once taught me when I went, you know, to protect, my, protect myself from entities, that's the next question I wanted to ask is, that, well, go after that, after this is that just to kind of remind them and you, I'm not playing this game. I'm not playing the game of fear. I'm not playing the game of separation. I'm not doing this shit. And repeating that, repeating that over and over again, you start to not play that game. The, the question I wanted to ask off of that is, that, do you mm. see this, this evil entity as purely internal, as this archetypal thing in all our collective unconscious minds? Or do you also see it as some astral inter intervention, some astral spirit hijacking our perceptions of this dream do you see as only this this unconscious archetypal thing or also some uh spirit intervening in our perceptions listen it's definitely both it's definitely both here's why um we everything i believe has three phases like if you look at the fibonacci sequence right the perfection of the angle of three or the law and rule of thirds we have an inhale we have an exhale and we have a hold we have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You ever notice this in the universe that the rule of threes plays itself out over and over and over again? So when it comes to darkness or Ratiko, or maybe you could even say demonic energy in the world that's wanting to impregnate and perpetuate itself mm -hmm. through human form, there is always a source and energy of where that comes from. There is a phase where it goes and attaches to the host. And then there is a release where it goes back to source, another rule of thirds. So the fact that we look at this natural law, the rule of thirds, you apply that to every form of nature. Like you tell me, Lucas, in the forest, is there ever a tree that's grown and lasts forever? No, eventually all trees must pass and they go back and their carcass feeds the rest of the forest. In other words, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. And so inside of us, there is this Wetiko. Inside of the collective, there is this Wetiko because, and this is what most people don't want to hear, from the origin, from the creator, from the creator's self, there is darkness, there is light. Look at Isaiah 45, 7 in the Bible. I, the Lord, create light and dark. I, the Lord, create good and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. This is a part of the Old Testament, the New King James Version, that a lot of Christians don't want to look at. But if you really listen to God's word or the creator's word, and that's, by the way, in all religious texts, there's some form of Isaiah 45, 7. Literally, we are being told by the creator, from the creator's mind, from the creator's heart, that inside of you and I, and inside of society as a whole, there is darkness, there is light. So which one do we get more of? We get more of the one that we focus on. Mm -hmm. I know it's very reductionistic, it's but it's the ultimate <laughs> truth, man. Mm -hmm. If I focus on the fact that 
I really hate my partner's shortcomings. Guess what I receive more of? I receive more of my partner's shortcomings. If I hate that I'm broke, guess what I'm going to perpetuate? Being broke. I think there comes a time in all of our lives as an adult where we just either get beat down to our knees or we shorten the pain curve and we actually just open up and listen to the divine and, and something will come through and it'll sound and feel something like this. You are not alone. There is something unique and magical about you. If you choose to honor me, which is who created you, which is the creator's voice, then your life is going to be so magical and so beautiful. And yes, you're going to experience challenges and hardship, but it's going to be so magical and so incredible to the point where you didn't even know it could be that good if you just honor something outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. If I choose to honor something outside of myself, and it's a choice, by the way, um, then I can tune into this magic, Lucas. I can actually be in harmony with the thing that created me. And then the whole Wetiko conversation, like you were talking about, I can just turn to it and just be like, I'm not playing that game. <laughs> I'm not playing that game today. The game I'm playing today is a game of love, commitment. There will be sacrifice here and there. But with that love and commitment, I'm honoring something outside of me. And then lastly, you know what it does, man. It takes away the pressure for me to have to do it all alone. It takes away the pressure and the weight of me having to be a perfect father for my children, having to be a perfect partner for my woman, having to be a perfect CEO and podcast host for my business. Fuck that. <laughs> I do not want to do it alone. I want to do it with something greater than me so that when things get really hard, I don't have to fall prey to Watiko. People fall prey to Watiko when they stop believing something outside of themselves actually exists. That's when people really get screwed. And that's when the darkness comes in, like lambs being led to the slaughter. That's why so many people are going to plant medicine ceremonies and, you know, doing drugs, calling it ceremony is because they're looking for that something outside of themselves. But what they don't realize is as they go without trust in their heart into those spaces, where they say they trust in something greater, but really they don't, that's when Watiko comes in with full force. Because Watiko, dark energy, demonic energy, loves it when people say one thing and do another. When we're not in alignment, that's when Watiko comes and the roosters come home to roost. How do you avoid the pessimism? Because, you know, I think where we are right now in society is one of the most demonically possessed versions of reality we've been in a long time. Yeah, no doubt. How, and you have a lot of light in you. I feel the positive energy. I feel the, the, the light in you. I've talked to people who also believe what you and I believe, but they're so dark and pessimistic and they're in this gloomy cloud. How do you hold the light in the immense level of darkness right now? How can one do that? Um, a lot of breath work. <laughs> no, that, that is one part of it. But I, I have always been insanely optimistic ever since I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, it's funny, I haven't thought about this for a while. This is why I really love podcasting. I, uh, the question I've been asking myself ever since I could remember is how do I live my life well? And it's the whole core of my podcast and my business at Wellness Force Media. Like how do we live our life well? Well, in order to live your life well, you first have to genuinely want to know the answer to that question. If you stop believing that you're worthy of that answer or if, you know, sexual trauma, mental trauma, physical trauma, just trauma in general starts to block people from being like in their heart space genuinely curious about how they live their life well, then there can be a pessimistic cloud 
almost like schlep rock from snoopy i know you're in your 20s so you may not know this but I don't. <laughs> there's this like cartoon character and his name was schlep rock and he had like this little cloud over him at all times or eeyore from winnie the pooh right just people that are kind of like wah wah <laughs> yeah. they're just kind of mopey people i i don't think it's their fault i think they just started to believe that there was no purpose to life and they believe that because of trauma they've gone through so thank god i've been through enough trauma that i can still handle we all have been through trauma no matter what if it's capital t or lowercase t at the core of your question is something really beautiful because the core of your question is how do we remain optimistic and filled with light about the potentiality of life right did i kind of get that question yeah correct when it's the hardest to do right now when it's the hardest to do so the way that we do it is we put scaffoldings around our mind and our heart now notice i said scaffoldings scaffoldings are not brick walls scaffoldings are meant to build something greater like you ever see downtown when there's a huge building going up they the crew builds it with a scaffolding it's so they can climb on the scaffolding they can make the building stronger they can carry the supplies in that they need and also light can come in so they can see what they're doing so the way you and i do that in dark times to defend ourselves from really the the demonic witiko energy is that we build loving scaffoldings around our heart around our mind so that we can let light in we can let other people in to support us we can listen to great podcasts that fill our soul we can read good books that make us believe in the human potential and in love being real we can go to a church if that's what resonates with you you can go to an ashram you can go to a meditation group i mean our ancestors you, you know there's this one fact that none of us tend to remember that i'm going to allow myself and you and i and all of us to remember right now if our ancestors from the early 1800s were able to sit with us here right now in this moment first of all they'd give you a hug and they'd be like lucas holy shit look what you've built look at what you get to do and then they'd say wow if i had what you had here's what i could have done here's what i could have believed so it's really not shame or blame it would be a slap in the face to our ancestors for us to not be light for us to not believe in human potential for us to not focus on the very thing that is being brought to us by all the resources we have and that is opportunity mm-hmm. we have the opportunity that our ancestors never had they didn't have the technology they didn't have a podcast studio they didn't have anything that you and i have man it just wasn't even a thing for them so they had to struggle for food and water and shelter we don't have to struggle for any of those things most people don't in america some people do so in a long-winded way what i'm saying is the way we defend ourselves against the darkness and the witiko we build those loving scaffoldings we start gathering all the evidence that we possibly can that we're loved that we're supported that we're on the right path and then we be at sometimes quite militant to protecting that scaffolding right whether it's through firearms or conscious community or um some people do uh training in BJJ whatever it is building your physical body like these things are all necessary as well because the very last thing i'll say is if you ignore the fact that evil exists one day evil will come to your doorstep and knock on the door mm-hmm. because the one thing that demonic energy and we tico also craves upon and preys upon is ignorance when you're ignorant when you're not believing in something outside of yourself when you have no scaffolding lucas of support systems and light and tools and resources in your life 
you're essentially open to everything. And actually the very, very last thing I'll say is this, when people go into these psychedelic ceremonies and they don't believe in a higher power and they're going just because they want to go experience something, maybe they, they're tired of feeling numb or maybe they're so desperate that they're praying to something for help. Um, they open themselves, and this is through my own personal experience as well. They open themselves to this dark energy because another thing that dark energy likes besides ignorance, besides our belief in a higher power, dark energy loves feeling people's desperation because when people are desperate and they'll do almost anything to get out of pain or to seek relief, a lot of times people choose to sell their soul. Look at all the people in Hollywood mm -hmm. that have sold their soul. Or a lot of times people will literally give a piece of themselves away so that they can, quote, feel better or they can be relieved from their pain. That's a deal with the devil that a lot of people make. Um, and it's very unconscious. It's a very unconscious form of Watika. So there's a lot there, man. Yeah, I it's, love a, the, it's a big question. I love that you mentioned um, psychedelics. I think it's it's become this this mainstream defeat strategy to defeat the evil energy and to defeat the darkness. Yeah. When I meet and I have certain people that come to me after no psychedelics, I, 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 I know this sounds crazy. I, I feel and see an entity attached to them. Like we contract these things sometimes and, and uh, when we ascend that high, there's not just all good and, and, and fairy. There's, there's things that can attach to us, you know, pretty easily. Welcome uh, to the jungle. And on top of that, like if you're in a room, right, if you're in a, let's say in a room with 30 strangers doing ayahuasca and those 30 strangers are releasing all their, their, their fucked up trauma and you're yeah. in the same room as that, you're going to, you're going to attract some of that shit. Like surprise, I, I just, surprise. I just don't, I just don't understand how it's not fully understood. The fact that yes, there's, there's potential healing qualities, but I stopped doing them a while ago just because I, I, I kind of saw that it's not what I needed anymore. But I love that you mentioned that. I think it's, it's a thing that has to be mentioned more is the potential seriously negative effects of psychedelics. Lucas, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson's work? You ever dabble yeah, in course, that a little yeah. bit? Okay. Yeah. So for anybody watching or listening that's ever heard Jordan Peterson say this phrase, he actually got it from Carl Jung. And the phrase is, when it comes to psychedelics or entheogens in general, be careful of unearned wisdom. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, that's a good one. Be careful yeah. of unearned wisdom. Just because we pay 400 bucks to go do ayahuasca at some dude's house in LA, in the Valley, or here in Austin, in Dripping Springs or something, does not mean that you have actually earned a place at the altar of spiritual maturation. doesn't mean that you've earned it. And so I think wisdom has to be earned. Um, maybe the analogy I could make would be like climbing a ladder, right? So if you're on the ground floor, let's just say that that's completely unconscious. And let's say you want to go to the third or fourth floor of a apartment complex. And on the roof, there would be a higher level of consciousness. You wouldn't think that it would ever be possible for you to take your feet and jump up four flights of stairs and get to the roof. There's no way you'd be able to do it. It wouldn't be fucking possible. But in this psychedelic realm, people go from doing no float tanks, no meditation, no introspection, no time in nature, no vision quests, no shadow work, no, no shadow work, no inner child work. And they just assume that because Nancy, Jane and Harry did ayahuasca and had some healing that it'll happen for them too. In other words, they try to jump from the ground all the way up to the fourth floor of a building. How could you not expect that something could go wrong there? The real way to do it is the way that, um, the spiritual warrior does it. And that is to climb that ladder one rung at a time. You just take your time and you climb it one rung at a time. And eventually over time, you reach the top. And then when you get to the top, by the way, you see another top that you're going to climb later on. There's no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. You can't shortcut it. 
And actually from my own life experience, every single time, Lucas, I've tried to shortcut my spiritual maturity process, my maturation process. It's always taken me longer and it's always brought me more pain mm-hmm. every single time. I think this is, this is tied to manifestation too. This is kind of this thing right now in society where people are expecting the thing they want or need to happen as soon as possible. It's the same thing, right? I think that our ability to call in what we need is dependent on our frequency or our light or, or trauma or stuck energies being released to get the thing, right? If you say, you know, I want, let's say, you know, a million subscribers for this podcast, right? That's a manifestation goal. I look at it all the time. I need, I need, I need it and constantly expect to happen. What I'm missing is the, the, the process to get there, to get the wisdom, to release the shame, release the, the things blocking me from that frequency. That, like the process yeah. of getting things is actually a slow thing to, to be worthy of it, to, to, to get there and feel like you, you, you've received it in some way, right? Like the common depression point I get in most guests or anyone is that they get what they wanted, but it wasn't doing anything for them, right? They get it immediately. They get the, the amazing wife or the, the amazing job or the money. And nothing changes. It's like no where, where to come. I feel like if you if you earn it to some degree, if you put in, if you've gone to a place where your, your your body deserves it, or you feel worthy of it, it matches in some way. Yeah, I interviewed Tom Billu. Uh, he was the founder of Quest Nutrition, and I'll never forget this. He told me on the podcast. Uh, yeah, when I sold Quest, it was like a ten figure check, like some outrageous amount of money. And he said, when I saw it in the bank account, I felt the same. Nothing changed. I had 10 figures in my bank account, but literally my life felt identical to how it did before I had the 10 figures in my bank account. And it took him on a spiritual journey. And I would even be suffice to say, based on what you told me, maybe your own father or people in that industry or you yourself have been fueled by. It's not necessarily about the thing that my ego consciously says that it wants. It's about something way deeper that's going to give me long-term spiritual fulfillment and peace. And that is loving myself, which is a huge topic. It's actually funny. It's not even a huge topic. It's quite simple, but we make it so fucking complicated. Loving ourselves, having the ability to give and receive love for others, and having the skill set to articulate that giving and receiving in a way where it's really felt, in a way where it's really real. And I think that's what we've lost individually and collectively. To go back to your very first question of how do we do it in this world with darkness inside of ourselves and in society, we do it by continually practicing exactly what I just said and by using that scaffolding mechanism that I talked about. It wasn't a big deal for Tom Bilyeu. I don't think that when we get to the top of the mountain, Lucas, that it's going to be enough. I told myself that as soon as I, I remember when I first started podcasting, I'm like, as soon as I make $100,000, I'll be good. Nope. And then that happened multiple times over. And I still feel like there's something missing. I do. And you know, what's missing for me is I think what's missing for all of us, unless we've achieved nirvana, and that is I am still learning how to love Josh. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning how to accept Josh, how to be a great father to my son, Nova, when I am sleep deprived and I snap at him or when I snap at my partner or when I'm short and curt in business, whatever it is. Anybody that comes and sits on an interview or a podcast and says they have it all figured out and they don't make mistakes and or or their way is the only way, you know that motherfucker is full of shit. Yeah. Actually, you know they're probably full of shit. Yeah. So I'm here to say that like in this in this new age, I see new age behind you. In this new age, what is required is old wisdom. We have to take old wisdom that actually has always worked. That's the point of the title. The new age sage is bringing old 
Okay. Sage wisdom to the new age. I didn't even know that. So there we go. That's perfect. We're in the right place. So we, we must choose to take this old wisdom and bring it here now. Otherwise the new age will devour us because the new age is filled with a lot of false prophets where spiritual, um, maturity and just spirituality in general has been commoditized much like gas and oil and corn and canola. And it's been placed into this silo where it's like, okay, well, as long as I speak and as long as I uh, appear to be a spiritual person, then I can amass a million followers. But are you actually deeply spiritual? And when the camera turns off or the microphone turns off, like, how are you? Do you show up the same on camera versus off camera? Because I can tell you in doing almost 700 interviews now myself, um, I would say half the time who they are on camera and who they are off camera are very different people. I think it's worse than that, bro. It might be worse than I think than it's that. worse than 50. It yeah. might be. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say, what helps me in terms of the, the whole, you know, getting something external and, and thinking that it'll make you whole uh, dilemma to me is that in my heart, I know this is a dream. This is, this is not real. This is, this is some form of, 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 it's not reality. This is some dream that we wake up out of. Eventually. I do believe that in my heart. I've been shown that. Um, this is all vibrating particles. I think this is some copy of reality. In my how, heart. how were you shown that? Um, in many ways. Um, okay. You know, in some levels, like feeling it, seeing it, um, and then researching it and reading it and having mentors who show me it and, and told me about it. Why I say that is that like, the only thing that's real is our connection to God, is a divine spark in us, is this light in us. That's the only thing that could fulfill us. Nothing in this dream that's a dream, the money, the woman, the TV is to give us love in these things, but nothing in a dream can fulfill, fulfill what's real. What's real is our light. It's our connection to the source. That's the only thing that's real. So when that's prioritized over this dream, right? Because with Tico, the entities are called, let's say with Tico, they feed off you the more you believe this is real, right? The more you think that the, the external idol, the false idol, is what will give you happiness. It never will. And you keep chasing and chasing and chasing. You fed more. So how is that, has that been your experience the more you kind Ooh. of prioritize that light in you or that, that, that spark of, of God in you and, and cultivate that as a source of happiness? Has that led to you more, be more fulfilled? Do you know what I'm getting at here? I, I feel what you're getting at. Okay. Yeah, and I think- I'm still making sense of it. I think <laughs> we all do. Well, that's why I asked you, you know, what, what do you mean by that this is a dream? Because part of Paul Levy's work is his community uh, awakening in the dream. And so if you're interested in that work, I would definitely check out his community. So yeah, the more that I choose, and it could be through church, it could be through breath work, it could be through mindful psychedelics, it could be through some type of solo practice like a float tank or um, going out into nature. I really love doing, well, I don't love it at the time, but I love what I get from it. Uh, doing vision quest where you fast for four days. Mm. Nothing will bring you closer to God than when it's just you, your own breath, nature, and water. Because that's truly all we need to survive for a fairly large period of time. But what happens in, in that environment, and it definitely happened for me, and I would actually say that most people should start here. You know, I've never said this on a podcast before, but I really believe that if somebody wants to start a spiritual path, they need to meditate followed by an immediate vision quest because a lot of these psychedelics and a lot of these other programs of peak experiences, they can be flashes in the pan where it gives somebody like a somatic or a mental response that's so intense that it's perceived by the unconscious memory storage as something meaningful. And, and it might have been, by the way, but it may not have the, the legs and the sustainability to enact real behavior change over time. I think what enacts real 
consistent behavior change over time for us in this dream that we're living is actually a complete unplugging and disconnection from the dream itself. Yeah, exactly that. But the only way we can achieve that is by taking away the phone, taking away the comforts of modern life and modernity. And so I'll just set the stage quickly for what a vision quest is. I've done a vision quest twice and I'll do it again next year. You go into nature. There's three days of ego stripping, of goal setting, of complete and total surrender to the divine about what it is that you truly believe in and how you want to play this game, this dream. And then you get out into nature. You have a little tarp. You have a sleeping bag. You have four gallons of water and no food. You fast for over a hundred hours. You drink water. And at the end of that, the spiritual downloads, true downloads and uploads, by the way, because you're getting them from Mother Earth. So you're getting downloaded and uploaded. There's like no way you couldn't grow from this experience. The true uploads and downloads that happen when you disconnect 100% from the dream is that you actually see the dream on the other side. And when you see the dream on the other side, you can learn so much from that. And you can actually feel that there's unlimited peace on that side. There's unlimited compassion. There's unlimited, infinite understanding and love. But the only way that we can access that as a human being is to actually leave this dream and leave this reality, which is, I, I understand why so many people go to psychedelics and go to peak experiences because they want a taste of that. They want to taste it. But in order to swallow it and digest it and embody it and be it in the world, we have to actually go to spaces like Vision Quest that will allow us to unplug without a third party tool, without an entheogenic tool, without something outside of ourselves. This is key. If we really want to awaken in the dream, if we really want to be peaceful and loving and be the type of person that we know innately we all are, then we have to choose to put ourselves in situations like vision quests where there's no distractions and there's no third party that is supporting us along the way. It's just us, our breath, water, nature, and connection to God. And I think that's what truly deepens all people. If you look at any religious text, Lucas, all of them have fasting. All of them in some shape or form have a period of time where people cleanse and clear their body, cleanse and clear their field, because that is what actually allows us to remember that we're in a dream, to remember the dream that we're living and to connect with the dream on the other side. At least that's been my experience. Why do you think you came into this dream? I think I came into this dream to be a light and to be loving no matter what challenges come my way and to be an example of that and to heal the lineage of my family, to heal the Trent lineage specifically. So my dad and his father had a very rough relationship, a lot of religious dogma. My brother and his son have had a rough relationship. Myself and my father have had a rough relationship. So you can be damn sure in the center of my soul that when it comes to my relationship with my son, specifically Nova, part of why I'm here in the world is to take apart all the unhealthy scaffolding that was built upon and imprinted by all the generational trauma and pain that maybe has been felt for more generations than I could even comprehend. This father wound that so many of us feel on some level, it's only a fraction of a fraction of, of population of men who I've met that don't have a father wound of some kind. Most men do. And so, and of course, women have their wounds too. I'm not negating that. I'm just speaking for men right now. The only way we can truly heal our father wound 
is if we be a father to ourselves and our children. That's it. Most people say like, oh, well, you can have a healing ceremony with your own father and you can forgive. And it's like, yes, but how are you continuing on the energy that was given to you by life itself through your father? How are you doing it, Lucas, through your father? How am I doing it, Josh, through my father, Dan? How is my son, Nova, going to continue on the masculine male father lineage of the Trent bloodline in a way that is of service to his children? you know, hopefully he'll want to have children, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's like the deeper question is how do we make peace in these challenging situations? And that's actually why I personally was brought here was to get to the bottom of that. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of it, by the way. I'm still working on it at 43, but I think that's why I'm here. You know, the, the simple answer to your question is I'm here to learn how to love no matter what situation I find myself in. And I'm here to teach that love to my children so that when I'm gone, they can continue it on as well. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately why I'm here. I chose a specific medium to do it in, but at the core of it all, there's no other purpose besides that. I mean, that's actually it. Mm -hmm. When you say fathering yourself, what does that mean to you? Well, inside of you, I mean, you're a big dude and you're a muscular guy, but inside of you, there's a very soft heart, just like there is in me. And inside of all of us, there is a heart that is so tender, it's almost like a rose being kissed by the sun. And as men, there has been this, I guess you could say dark side of the patriarchy. I believe that the patriarchy has a light side too. Um, yeah. yeah, but just like in feminism, I think feminism shows us a very deep darkness. And there is some light in feminism, but it's it's really overshadowed by the darkness. That's a whole other conversation. We'll get into that. I wanna, yeah, we'll to go that. back to your point though, like... There is a part of, I think, what is unraveling here on planet Earth for us to accept and take responsibility for, for the collective healing. If, um, if I myself am choosing to ignore the parts of myself that are wounded, that are traumatized, and that are not healed, and even if I'm unconscious of it, right? In the model of learning and understanding, there's unconscious incompetence. Then it goes to conscious incompetence. Then it keeps going up and eventually one is just unconsciously competent. They don't even know why they know all these things. They're just competent at it. This is what happens to us as podcasters is we just get the best from our guests and we don't even know how we do it. It's just, it's become natural for us. It's become online. And so for my own healing, what are the parts of myself that I'm unconsciously incompetent about? How can I always for the rest of my days not aggressively search for those parts, but be open to those parts being shown to me through, and the best one is intimate relationship. I don't care who you are, intimate relationship. And then right under that being a parent, those two modes will bring out, those two modes of understanding in life will bring out every single shadow you ever have if you're open to it. When I talk about fathering the, the boy in me or fathering the young man in me, it's, it's like, it's just like this. When I have experiences in my life that bring me to a place of familiarity, in other words, an argument with Carrie Michelle feels just like it did in my entire nervous system, in my throat, in my heart, in my stomach, and it takes me there at 43, and I actually feel like I'm 13 years old again, I know there is work to be done. When I have an experience in business or in life or in friendship where no matter what age I am, my body memory takes me back to a specific childhood moment 
that feels identical to the moment I'm living now, it means that I'm not healed. It means that I'm not cleared of whatever that is. And so there is a constant process of internal reflection. And I believe some people might fight me on this, but I'm going to go big on your podcast. Go for it. I do not think it's possible to truly heal yourself and to truly heal your inner child unless you are in dynamic, intimate relationship and or a parent. I don't. I think you can get a long way. I agree, yeah. You can get a very long way with it. But if you really want to reach the highest potential of your own self, then you have to understand that you're limited by the capacity of your own healing. I can't be something that I'm not. I can fake it for a while. But if I'm truly not the person that I'm saying that I am, eventually the wheels will fall off the wagon, mm-hmm. right? It'll just happen. Something the universe will bring in a traumatic event and it'll knock me down to where I actually am. We were talking about something earlier that I want to touch on. Um, and it was something about um, people growing and people striving for what they want in life and becoming like this best version of ourselves. And, and I thought about something that I had that I had talked about on a podcast recently. And it was this concept of faking it till you make it or being it till you see it. I think there's a loss of humility in our world because uh, we were talking about climbing the ladder, excuse me. We were talking about climbing the ladder up uh, to get spiritually mature or not. So, so many people are faking it. They are in their 20s. Not like you, actually. I don't get a fakeness from you. I mean, I you're, <laughs> you're here holding real conversations so you can learn and share it with people. To me, that's the most integrity-based learning that's possible on planet Earth, is to be open in your authenticity about where you actually are on your journey. But what we have is we have an entire society that is built upon Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and all these platforms where you can essentially present yourself in a way that other people think you are, but deep down in your guts, you know you're not that person. And so eventually, God, universe, creator will bring a situation into your life that will knock you down to where you actually are. And I actually think that's a blessing because there's no greater gift in this world than living your life from a place of spaciousness and honesty about where you actually are instead of what you think you should be at because that's what some coach that you paid $3,333 wanted you to believe. Oh, the number you chose. (laughs) That seems to be the price that people choose when they're not sure about what they should charge. It's, it's got a bunch of threes in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. There's, I think what you're saying is a fact. I mean, if you just some personal experience, like, you know, I think our, our deepest, my experience is this. I've been with people, women who are very identified as spiritual and got off together. And then a trigger comes up in a relationship. All that goes away. Oh, yeah. All their, you know, ayahuasca training, all their spiritual identity just demolishes. In that moment, they're literally, you're literally their father. (laughs) And they're just projecting their father. Literally, I think that's those are the deepest wounds you possess. Yes. As human beings. Mother and father wounds. That can only be seen in union. So I'm I'm 100% with you. On on the part of authenticity, I also agree. I think my North Star, yes, it's it's light and God. It's also, it's not the work itself. It's how can I become the most authentic self of me? I'll use work and stuff to create that, but my metric is how can I be most authentic? And then everything comes my way. It's not about like working hard enough to get this thing. It's how can I actually be myself enough to then get what's meant meant for me. But on that, on yeah, that path for me, yeah. I think we each have a part of ourselves that was most held in shame. That was the hardest to see. That's like the, the final metric or, or chess piece we had to move to be in full authenticity. What was that piece of you that was, so, that was the hardest for you to see and accept? Hey there. I'm going to give you a break 
to digest all of this amazing information. And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. You're making me take a breath on that one. (laughs) The hardest part for me was dealing with feminine rejection because of my weight. Mm. That was the absolute hardest part for me. So I I used to be 280 pounds. Um, I'm 225 now. I feel good at somewhere between 220 and 225. I'm 20 as well. So we're That's same. where I feel yeah. good. I'm six foot tall. And even though like on a BMI chart, it says that I'm overweight or something, I know that my lean body mass and just the way I feel in my biometrics, they reflect to me that I'm healthy. So I really like that weight for me. And, you know, it's funny just looking at um, dysphoria of any kind. I know it's a separate subject, but I'll mention it here since we're talking about what I held in shame for so long. Um, gender dysphoria, uh, body dysmorphia, all these um, dysphoric mental conditions, they're all classified in DSM-5 and, and actually in all literature as OCD, chronic OCD. So anytime that you have an excessive compulsive disorder, it's actually a spiritual malady. It's, it's a spiritual component, a spiritual sickness that is blocking the person, me, to, since we're talking about maladies, of looking at the part of themselves that brings them the most fear or shame mm-hmm. or disgust. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the OCD that was created about my body that led me to personal training for 10 years was if I just look the part, I had a six pack for a long time. If, if there's just like a way I can look, then everybody will perceive me as being whole and being complete. Meanwhile, and this happens in a lot of different industries, when I'm shining a flashlight on everyone else, guess what part stays dark? Right here. I'm not shining any light on myself. All I'm doing as a yoga instructor or a personal trainer or a healer is I'm just shining light on other people. So how do I actually look at the shame to go to your question? How do I look at the shame in me? And what part of me is asking for relief and is asking for chaos to be in order? It is when I choose through pain or through pleasure to turn the flashlight onto me and to shine that bright light on me because then all the dark parts of myself that need to be illuminated. It's almost like that scene in Terminator, you know, where the cop is being hit with bullets. He's being like exploded with bullets. That's what we all need. We all need to be hit by the bullets of awareness. And so when we shine that light on ourselves and we start looking at, wow, what are the things that when I put my head on the pillow at night cause me the most shame, the most disgust, and the most fear, actually, um, for me for so many years, it was how I showed up in my physical body mm-hmm. because my physical body was an unconscious manifestation of my unconscious itself being in disharmony or dis-ease. And so the way that I got down to that was like actually looking at, hmm, how can I father this young boy that did not receive so many things that he needed from his own dad? And how can I have compassion? But I'm not just like lip servicing this either. How can I honestly have compassion for Dan Trent for not getting what he needed from Gene Trent? And maybe from Gene Trent, not getting what he needed from the great, great, greats and that entire lineage that brought us to this moment. Because I think for me, what, what, what Tico wants and what dark energy wants is it wants to keep things the same. That's its primary goal, to keep things unchanged and the same because then it can be right and it can also paradoxically be safe. And so when I go through my own deep discovery process, which is by the way, bloody, messy, 
filled with tears, maybe snot bubbles. It ain't sexy shit. And people talk about doing inner child work or inner work like it's this sexy thing. Nope. It's ugly as fuck. I was shitting, shitting myself like a year, basically. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing sexy about doing inner work. Um, but you know what is sexy? The sunlight that caresses your skin on the other side. Mm -hmm. That's sexy. That's amazing. Because then I can show up for my woman, my business, my family with that light, with that love. And so I was darting around the question because it was an uncomfortable answer. But the answer is this. When I can look at Josh in the mirror and I can go back on any timeline, whether it's young adulthood, adolescence, childhood, or even infancy, and I can gather the skills and the awareness to hold him and to be there for him, that's what makes all the difference. Because my partner may trigger me, but it's not that my partner is triggering me. My work may trigger me, but it ain't that my work is triggering me. You might trigger me in a friendship, but it ain't that you're really triggering me. All you're doing is awakening some part of myself inside of me that is angry and judgmental at itself. Mm -hmm. It even feels weird to say that out loud because my ego doesn't like it when I say that out loud. But that is the ultimate truth. When I learned to parent this younger version of Josh at all those different points in my life, that is what truly allows me to show up and shift the lineage for real. Not just some pipe dream, not just something I'm saying on a podcast because it sounds cool, but to truly shift our, our wounding and to shift our lineage, it requires that surrender to on a regular basis, man, going back and having the practice and the skill set and the tools to be able to relate to oneself, to hold oneself, to be with oneself at that age and, and love oneself through the trigger, love oneself through the process. Otherwise, if we don't do that, guess who gets all the heat? It's the person across from us who we perceive to be the one triggering us. And I'm not here to say that like physical abuse and mental abuse, um, we need to put up with that. No, we never need to put up with that. Like there's also a discerning inside of us that comes online when we've done enough work to know what's acceptable and what's not. So there's discernment to be talked about in that regard. But when I really make the decision to surrender to God, to know that it's not just about me, and even in those moments to ask God, God, how can I reparent this 12-year-old version of me? God, what resources can you bring me? God, what can you show me? What, please, please show me and thank you for showing me the way to find the right healer, to find the right coach, to find the right podcast, to find the right piece of scaffolding that I can stick on this massive, strong building of my healing and that I can actually trust will bring me to a place where I can do it. I can be there for myself when I was five, when I was 12, when I was 21, when I was beat, when I was picked on, when I was bullied, when I was rejected by the feminine. And so I perceived that when I was in... um uh, middle school and high school to be that there was something wrong with me. I just thought there was something wrong with me. And so, um, in my twenties, I took it out on women. I slept with so many women unconsciously. I did all these drinks and, and parties on a regular basis that really took away from my vitality. And I was doing that because I was trying to fill a hole that had no bottom. And I was trying to get to this place inside of myself where if, oh, if I drank enough or if I fucked enough or if I smoked enough or if I partied enough, then somehow it would make this emptiness inside of me go away. But it was all a lie. The only thing that makes the emptiness go away 
is when I choose to actually stand at the bottom of it myself and be real with what's going on and be real with how I feel about myself. And be, and this is the big one. Be real about the narrative and the dialogue that I use for myself to myself. I can be, we all can be our own worst enemy and our biggest bully, way more than the bullies from high school, way more than society tries to bully us. We actually do it to ourselves a lot more. So at the bottom of that hole, the only way we can actually create a bottom and stand on it is if almost like, you ever see that Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade, where he he has to like step and, and go on the path. And if you haven't, it's an amazing piece. Maybe you can stick it in this clip for B-roll. He literally has to step and trust that the path will appear. That's how we have to do it. We have to step and trust that the path will appear on our own healing. And we have to just ask God and be humble along the way that we can gather the right resources to do so. Because guess what, man? On the other side, it sucks. It's just more pain, more drinks, more unconscious spending, more unconscious sex, more unconscious scrolling on social platforms. And we've all been there before. It's like the last thing I'll say, you, you, I know you've seen The Matrix. Yeah, I'm my, trying to get you into favorites. movies right now. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? <laughs> so you've seen The Matrix. We've all seen The Matrix. There it's is a, a scene. It's a documentary, by the way. What's that? It's a documentary, The Matrix. Yeah. It is a documentary. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah, that's true. It is a documentary. So, um, so they open the car door and he's underneath the bridge and it's raining outside. And she turns to him and says, Neo, because he's scared. He doesn't want to know the truth. And that's okay. He wants to leave the car. He's about ready to leave the car. And she says, you know where that road leads. You've been down there before. And I just get chills in my body even telling you that right now. It's just so visceral and so powerful. You know that running from an inevitable truth just perpetuates the lie. And so for us, for my healing, and really like to pinpoint your question, the only way that I can get through my shame and get through hatred or get through judgment of self is to be honest about the fact that it's still there and to not run from it. Mm -hmm. Cause I already know what the other way feels like. I've yeah. already been down there before. Yeah. I share a, a similar wound rejection and I was overweight, had no charisma, didn't know how to talk to a girl. That's part of me, even though my podcast was seriously shy and socially awkward. Mm. Um, and I was that way for a long time and I was always rejected. Thankfully I figured out eventually what to do, but, um, what I'm saying that is in that there was this massive addiction to porn that, that porn for me was some kind of, of that hole for me, that solace. In my research, you also had the same, the same issue. Why, why do you think, um, why do you think men go to that so much? Why is porn so, why, I think we're, most men are actually addicted to porn. I really do believe that. Like, even if you're watching it like once every night, to just ejaculate and fall asleep. I do believe most men have a porn addiction. Why do you think that is? Why do we go to porn when we feel so rejected by the feminine? And what's the effect of porn on the masculine psyche? The best way to open this conversation piece is to share what a mentor shared with me once. If you want to know who your master is, what is something you can't go without? So breathing is my master. Food and water are my master. I need those things to survive. Nourishment and love are my masters. Porn is not a master. So if a human being, if a man specifically cannot go a day, a week, a month, a year without watching porn because it's perceived as a death of some kind, then it's your master. So we can start it right there. If something has mastery over you, it is chaos seeking order for you to have mastery over it. And it is wanting that actually. It's a archetype of a protector. 
So if you look at uh, psychology, there's always a protector inside of us. Sometimes that protector protects us with wisdom and with love and with guidance. Sometimes the protector sees that we're immature in some way, and it actually protects us through pain. And so for me, I was protected. I'm protected now from pornography because of my experience with it and because of my pain with it. Um, I was shown actually in my very last ayahuasca ceremony ever what my life would look like. This is in 2018. If I continued to go down the path of porn and it hit me in such a deep, I can actually just feel the nausea right now. Just it's such a, it was such a supreme lesson. And I was smacked so hard by ayahuasca that the lesson still has resonance five years later talking to you about it. It scared me on such a deep level and it brought me to such a place of humility and of um, really dealing with shame and disgust from all the hundreds of micro traumas that I had witnessed through pornography that I was able to through shitting and puking and also having a soul attachment. Um, Native Americans call it soul loss. I was able to go to a mentor named Paul check and he was able to support me in my healing. in those two years after the, the ceremony, I don't think it has to happen for everyone like that. Mm -hmm. It happened for me like that. It was um, truly the most insane I think I've ever felt in my life. But look, for many men, they have a tree that's growing in their unconscious and the tree is actually poison. And guess what happens when you pull a tree out of the ground? You have to remove all the roots as well. So just because you put blockers on your computer or you choose to not watch porn or, you know, it's, it's March 1st, I'm not going to watch porn anymore. I can, I can think of so many days in my past, specifically in my early thirties where I was like, okay, like I know I have a problem, but like, how am I actually going to deal with this? Like, how am I actually going to let go of this? I know what I'll do. I'll start on the first of the month and, and that'll be the way that I actually beat porn is like, I'll go 30 days, I'll go 60 days. But it's actually backwards thinking. The, the reason why men are addicted and the reason that I used to be addicted to porn was that I was using it as a way for me to make my nervous system feel loved, safe and whole and complete. It had nothing to do with busting a nut. It had nothing to do with coming. It had nothing to do with um, getting excited about watching, you know, naked women. It has everything to do uh, with the limbic brain. And Gary Wilson talks about this in his book, Your Brain on Porn. Uh, he talks about how, just like any addiction, you have to keep amplifying the stimulus to actually receive the same dopamine and, and serotonin input from your body. So if for a year you're just watching heterosexual sex, then for the next year, maybe you're watching slapping. And then for the next six months, maybe you're watching even more gross stuff that maybe is not even good for me to say out loud because <laughs> it just attracts that energy, right? Yeah. But what I'm saying is imagine the grossest pornography and the grossest stuff, the vices, the, the kink, all this shit that unfortunately is really celebrated by our society right now that is, could not be further away from God and further away from the teachings of nature and from the laws of nature. That is what I was into. And I was into it because there was a part of me that just wanted to like deep breathe and feel love and at peace with himself. And I remember I would do it specifically in moments where I was really stressed. It became like this stress reliever for me where when I was like really sad or when I was stressed out or when um, business was challenging or, you know, fill in the blank, I would use pornography as a way to like ah, relax and have a deep breath. 
But when I started eating my own dog food and, and taking my own medicine and learning from my mentors and going on my own spiritual journey, I started to gather my own pieces of scaffolding. And those were having conversations on the podcast became my own therapy, honestly. It became a way for me to help myself heal. Um, also going deeper into other plant medicines and doing breath work and doing also physical challenges. Lucas, I did a, when I was 37, I did something that was really powerful. I, I went to a 20X overnight seal fit event with Commander Mark Divine. And I did like this massive, massive, uh, I guess you could say Navy SEAL training. And there's something when you take your physical body to a place that it's never been before, you can start to get insights that come up from your unconscious because you, the body is the unconscious and the unconscious is the body. They're actually the same thing. That's why if I'm carrying extra weight on my body, it's my unconscious is carrying extra weight too. So that I would, I would go to the 20X and I would do Vipassana meditation and I would go on these um, journeys and just do anything that I could to, like I said, fill that hole. But the only thing that's allowed me to fill the hole is laying on a bed, putting one hand on my stomach, one hand on my heart, doing nasal and mouth breathing and doing circular breathing, sometimes with my neural meditation. Sometimes I'll actually just lay on the floor and put my back on the floor and put my feet up like an L on a couch. And I'll just lay and breathe. And I'll ask a question like, okay, what are you here to teach me? What is this pain here to teach me? What is this discomfort here to teach me? What is this stress or this strife here to teach me? And um, do I ever think about porn? Of course. I mean, who doesn't? Like anybody that's ever had more than a few years of like heavy porn use, they're lying if they say that scenes don't pop in or things don't pop in. It's something that I get to be aware of probably for the rest of my life, maybe definitely for the next, you know, 10 years or so where I'm every day reprogramming myself to, and, and thank God, like I don't use that stimulus anymore. It's not, it's not like a thing for me. It doesn't own me anymore. Part and parcel because of the slap from ayahuasca, me gathering the scaffolding, me being in conscious relationship, me choosing to take that wasted energy and put it towards loving my son. Yeah. Like that. I mean, that almost makes me want to cry just thinking about it. Like what an incredible amount of wasted energy that men are choosing to pour down the drain. Every single time men are wasting their seed and their chi and their charisma and their beingness on a screen that just wants to monetize their soul. I mean, porn is truly demonic energy in material form. That's actually what it is. And, and I used to say on podcasts like, oh, I'm not here to demonize porn. Oh, I actually am. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. I actually am here to demonize porn. Um, it, it would be like saying that murderers aren't murderers if I yeah, No, didn't. I think it's, 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 it's fully demonic. I, um, what's fucked for me, I think most people in my generation, is I was watching porn at 11. Oh, yeah. I was 11 every day watching porn multiple times. Isn't that wild? Yeah. The fact that like our country censors everything else. You can't go on YouTube and get a vitamin D lecture, but you can watch 24 seven gagging, disgusting porn on any device, anywhere at any time. Now you tell me from a societal perspective, how much sense that makes. It's almost as if the powers that be know how harmful porn is. This ain't a conspiracy theory. That's true. Anybody, anybody watching or listening can go on their phone right now and get whatever they want like Pinocchio going to the island. So you tell me, Lucas, like 
Don't you think that the powers that be know how harmful porn is? And that's why I stopped. I, I, I stopped a couple of years ago, but one of the things that I relapsed maybe like eight, 10 months ago, I just had that, for honesty, I just had that moment. I was like, I had a bad day. I was like, fuck, I'm gonna just watch it again. I shit you not, I was watching it and I saw, I literally saw a demon. Like I, I saw the porn woman in her eyes, it stopped. I saw a demon. Um, I literally saw a demon. And that to me was like, I was like, holy shit. And, I, and that's when I, I sat with it. I was like, okay, if these, you know, entities feed off of us, but I do believe in that. It sounds insane, but I do believe that. Um, the things they love to feed off the most are fear and shame. Shame's the biggest one. Shame is like the, is like the filet mignon for these, for, with Tico and these entities. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with, with, <laughs> yeah. Sh- with shame, yeah. it's that like any, like after you jerk off into a disgusting porn video, you sit there, every man is like, what the fuck did I just do? That feeling of like shame, I'm not enough. What the hell's wrong with me? Yeah. Every day, that's the the that's the juiciest food. Having mm-hmm. like the, the 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 backbone, the strength of society stuck in shame over releasing their seed on like a demonic screen. Like that to me is like why it's not stopped. Is that that's like a massive food source for Watika for these these entities. And the one thing I tell men is just like if there's something truly demonic, spiritually, it's porn. Like it, it, it truly is porn. That's the one thing. Is many things in life. Sure, sex trafficking, all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. porn is it's tied into all that. It, it truly is an evil thing. And it, it, like, like like you, I, I never want to demon, demonize anything, but it is demonic. So I kind of have to. I, <laughs> I think it's okay. Out. I think it's okay. That's well put. I think it's okay to demonize certain things that show up demonic. Like if it's cold and raining outside, I'm not going to be like, oh, the sun is shining. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to fucking fake it. If, if I'm experiencing an environment or weather I'm not going to describe the weather as something it's not. I'm not going to teach in schools that a little boy is a little girl. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend and play that game because it's not fucking real. God, God is truth. I do believe that. God is truth. And what is God? God is everything. Mm-hmm. And God is nothing at the same time. Yeah. That's a total mind twist. Because if we're really in this dream that you're talking about, that has to be a certainty for you. And it has to be a certainty for all of us that there truly is no meaning to what we're doing. And there's all the meaning in the world. The ultimate paradox exists for us in this moment on your podcast, where you're asking me these thoughtful um, questions about growth and development and being our most amazing, loving self. And there's also no point to it all. So people could take it for what they may. It's wherever you put your attention, where I put my attention isn't on this argument between men and women, gender dysphoria, pornography, all these things. If I'm asked about it, I'll share because we're here, you know, and, yeah. and, and I get to share. But it's not something that I'm focused on. What I'm focused on is actually the truth of God's love and the truth of love itself. And how can I be that for myself and my family? If we could all do that, Lucas, we wouldn't have to be having such deep conversations about porn unconscious sex, shopping, consumerism, pollution, dysphoria, all these things. Yeah. I think at certain moments in our life, it is important to have those conversations, but you know, what we feed grows. And and just like you were saying, like the guy at the screen, if it's eating our shame, why are we continuing to do it? Yeah. Why do we continue to feed the Wetiko itself? Yeah. On on that note of of love, something I've been thinking about, I do think that, you know, what Jesus did that was so powerful was just, it's simple, it's rudimentary, but it's love, right? It's the worst enemies people wanted to kill and it just was all love. What I'm asking that is that like, you know, where we are now, there's, you know, things I, I, I think are, are bad and demonic, like the, the making kids transgender, you know, the porn, 
when I see people who are fully sucked in the matrix getting, you know, all the, the shots and making all the shit go come together in a way that's not conducive to what reality I want to see. Yeah. How can, how can we deal with that with love? How can we deal with, is that possible? How can we deal with these truly dark things with love? Yeah. I still don't know. The, I, still, I don't know the answer. I have a good, I have a really good approach that I, that I practice when I do solo casts or when I interview or when I express, and I've actually done it a few times here with us unconsciously. You remember I was talking about that unconscious competence where eventually we just do things and we don't even know why we do them or how we do them. We've just gathered the wisdom to do so. When I approach a really challenging subject, unless it is meant to just be one sentence, I will usually do what's called a compartmentalized or a sandwich explanation where I will give compassionate understanding up front, not bullshit, like real compassion and understanding to where, why something's there or where something, where someone is coming from. Then I will say exactly what I feel. I will speak my mind and then I will give some type of solution. In sales, they call it a sandwich close. You be nice, you tell them what you want, you be nice again, right? But what you want's in the middle. I do the same thing when it comes to um, articulating solutions about demonic things and dark energy. So if we were to talk about gender dysphoria, for example, I would, I would approach it in some way like this. Hey, well, so what if I believed that you were wrong? If you believed that if was I wrong. Was, if I was a side of being like, you know what? You're either born there or not. If you're, if you're six years old and you feel like you're a girl and you're a boy, then that's yeah. just the way you are. Well, then I would say, you know, Lucas, I, I can have compassion and understanding for why you feel what you feel. And I don't know what your life has been like, for you to be able to gather those type of resources and information for you to actually believe what you believe. But here's what I can say. If you look at the literature and if you truly understand that we are a product of nature and we come from a source point, a creator, and that creator designed us in a certain way, would you agree that's true? They may say no, right? Or you may say yes. And I would say, what I believe is different than what you believe. And what I believe is that there are certain things that need to be in order in the universe. And in order means that it can replicate itself. Disorder means that an organism will die. So if we have um, men that think they're women and women that think they're men, or even um, if homosexuality runs rampant and all of a sudden half of our population is homosexual, which that's actually being taught in schools right now, which is a whole nother thing, um, then our species will perish. And our species will perish. I would, I would assume you share the same viewpoint that that's a bad thing, right? I'm not here to say that what you believe is wrong or what you believe should be shamed, but what you believe is fundamentally different than what I believe because I base what I believe on in my soul, my connection to God and a higher power, and also my understanding of the laws of nature itself. So I can have compassion for what you believe and I can have some understanding as to your model of the world. I can respect your model of the world and why you might believe that. But we can also agree to disagree that the outcomes of my belief are fundamentally going to be different than the outcomes of your belief. It doesn't mean that I'm right or you're wrong. It's just what is the outcome of our beliefs that we all agree upon is the highest good and of the highest love. I would probably approach it something like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> can you truly agree to disagree? Like, do you think in your absolutely and you who you are right now can like if I was truly that way and I believe those things and was yeah. you know pushing back and you could be yeah. fine and loving in, in your body? Yes. Now there's a couple things here. Like it's, I mean, this is this is real shit. So yeah. I'm glad we're going here. The, the real part of this conversation is this: when somebody there's a there's a piece that Dr. John Demartini talks about in all of his lessons, and it's called core values or a values hierarchy. 
if one of my core values is a belief in the higher power and a belief in nature and the laws of nature, and that is a value that I identify with, that's a value that allows me to breathe life into the world and to have confidence in my way of being, then I'm not going to associate or hang out with or be around other people that are in direct opposition of my values, right? So that's the first piece. The caveat to that is, and this is what a lot of people get wrong, and I'm so glad you brought this up. I really want people to get this. If my value is so deep and embedded in my soul, and I believe what I believe on such a powerful level that it holds so much weight inside of me, I I am not threatened by someone else's opinion towards it. I am not, I may not have to enjoy their opinion. I may not have to agree with their opinion. But because my value and my belief in something that I believe comes from love and is for the highest vibration and the highest good of you and I in society, and I truly believe that on a deep level, which by the way, the paradox is they might believe it too. But I believe they've been brainwashed. That's just my own thinking. Um, I am not threatened by someone else's viewpoint. A sure sign to know if someone is out of alignment with their values or they actually don't have a big weight as to what they believe. In other words, they don't actually believe what they believe. They just believe it because they want to be part of groupthink or they want to be part of a, of a group that identifies a certain way is that they become agitated, angry, and they become hostile to someone else's opinion. We have lost the art form in society of how to agree to disagree. We have lost the art form in society about how to have authentic conversation where the other person isn't shamed or, or made wrong for their views. I actually, um, I believe that this is the one thing that people could take away from this perceived dichotomy, but it's actually not a dichotomy. You are free and I am free to believe what we want to believe and to lead our lives in the way that we want to lead them. Thank God we live in America to do so. Imagine if we were somewhere else. We are also free to hang out with and spend time with people that have the deepest resonance with our growth and with our highest values, with our values hierarchy. So you can see how many things can be true at the same time. But at the end of the day, we are a product of who we hang out with, the environment that we choose to be in, and the thoughts that we entertain and the thoughts that we allow ourselves to think. So in full maturity, I can hang out with you if you have a different opinion than me. I can learn from you if you have a different opinion than me. But do I want to build a sustainable friendship with someone that does not have aligned values? No. And so I think we've lost on a deep level this ability to allow other people to have differences of beliefs and opinions. To be able to actually have a conscious debate is one of my favorite things. But as soon as it gets to ad hominem, which is where one side starts attacking the character or the worthiness of that person, we've lost the debate. And you see it in politics all the time. And you see it, unfortunately, in friendships all the time, where when somebody doesn't want to be vulnerable, they'll start attacking the other person. This happens in intimate relationships. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. For sure, yeah. Where all of a sudden you're being attacked for like who you are as a person when you forgot to take the trash out or something yeah. like that. That shit just happens. Um, it's a deep question, man. And I, and I think really at the bottom of it all, we've got to understand that it's okay. It's normal. It's organic. It's perfect. It's nature's perfect expression of us uh, being able to agree to disagree and having that be okay. What's also forgotten underneath that is the role that unhealed trauma and an unregulated nervous system plays into us not being able to 
debate properly or agree to disagree. Back when I had an unhealed trauma, deeply unhealed trauma, a fucked up nervous system, I was addicted to, you know, stimulants. I was that, you know, doesn't matter, I was on the, you know, super left side of things, but it doesn't matter where you stand if you're extreme in that nervous system side. Someone would say something remotely, what I perceived to be racist or homophobic or whatever, transphobic, I would literally feel like I was, I was going to kill them. Like there was this rage in me. I would just like immediately go outwards. And then when I healed my, my trauma, my nervous system, all those opinions disappeared. I just was, I just didn't give a fuck. I had, when someone, you could say the thing I think is the most offensive, I really wouldn't mind because my, my trauma and my nervous system is good. Like I'm, I've cleared most of it, thankfully at a young age, that it just feels that way, right? My sister, who was also like that, and her and I couldn't really get along for a while because I, I became, I went from like super left to somewhere right middle. And then she stayed there and I couldn't like, I just couldn't talk to her. I mm. couldn't talk to her because I just, she gets so inflammatory. I, if, I, if I said something that was kind of triggering. And then once she started uh, doing somatic therapy and healing her nervous system, we became super close. We're like best friends now because she's still somewhere there, but there's no animosity. There's just love. If we disagree, there's no there's nothing in our nervous systems that causes us to to clash. So I, I really yeah. think behind most of the shit, behind the divisiveness, that the, the both sides hating each other, yes, it's demonic, but it's also this deeply unhealed trauma and a really fucked up nervous system. Having had that experience too, the more your nervous system is calm and and, and and collected, the more you can just talk to people at a, a cool level. Listen, I'll share something super on point that's real for me recently. My son, um, about three weeks ago, had a tremendously challenging sleep time. He was up all throughout the night. He was teething. It was really, really hard on his mom and I. Mm -hmm. And there was about um, a two-week period where I was not getting more than four hours of sleep per Mm -hmm. night. And it took me to probably one of the darkest places I've ever been because my physiology was not being nourished. My nervous system was shifted from homeostasis over to fight and flight sympathetic branch. And I could feel it all day long. And this is just like a little bit of stimulants, maybe a tiny bit of caffeine or some nootropics or something. I wasn't slamming coffee all day long. So I knew it wasn't from an excitatory standpoint that my nervous system was dysregulated. I knew it was from my cells and my brain not being cleared of their toxins from sleep. So we have these glial cells that need to be cleared in our brain. Basically our brain is going through a car wash at night. Mm And so when I wasn't sleeping for more than four hours, my nervous system was so trashed and just so amplified. Every little thing would cause an argument with my lady and I. Every little thing in business would trigger me. And so what did I do? I I took my own medicine. I called in a nanny. I called in a night nanny. I called in extra support, meal delivery, um, rest and recovery, red light. I did everything in my power to remedy the situation as quickly as possible. Sleep coaching for my son, like everything you could imagine. And over three weeks, eventually now, this is actually just last week that it was the hardest. Now I'm like, you know, I wear the aura ring, so I know I'm getting great sleep. I know my deep sleep is increasing. I actually just feel calmer. I feel like myself again. Sleep is such a, I don't think people hear this enough. Like I want everybody to just feel this. Like if you are not sleeping, if you're not taking care of yourself at a fundamental base level that nature wants you to by sleep, every single other part of your life will suffer. Mm-hmm. You will become more triggered by arguments. If your sister didn't sleep, she probably would have ripped your head off back in the day when you were dysregulated too, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just would have happened. So we've, we've got to without, we, my, my mentor, Rob Wolf and friend told me once, he's like, I guard my sleep at knife point. If someone wants to take away my sleep, I hold a knife up to them and say, go for it. 
come and take it, you know, because it is truly, truly, truly that important, especially once you're in your late thirties, early forties, you have got to sleep. If you don't sleep, you have to let go of anything and everything that is taking you away from your sleep because the whole purpose I'm sharing this with you because you brought up that great example of you and your sister is if I'm not taking care of my fundamental nervous system, base level sleep, I will have lots of dark thoughts that I start to entertain as truth, which I recently did. I had some very dark thoughts that came up and I was like, wait, that can't be right. Oh, it's because I'm not sleeping. And I was projecting that darkness onto others. And I'm a human being. I'm not some freaking elevated nirvana wearing a white cape on a mountain like I'm human. And so once I learned that taking care of myself was at the highest importance, highest importance, then everything else followed suit. Yeah, it's a good, I think, for marriage or relationships too. I'm sure that like your ability to be a good partner is dependent on your sleep as well. Like our, we oh, think yeah. that like so much of this stuff is we think about like the the communication styles and how to listen properly and how to hold space. But it's like, unless you are at a high vibratory state of health and, and wellness, none of that shit matters. Like all that, all that shit goes out the window when you're not feeling, when you're not feeling sane. I always tell people this one phrase and it's so easy for me to understand because my podcast is called wellness and wisdom. I was a trainer for 10 years. It's been like two decades of me, like really being committed to understanding how I live my life. Well, I always tell people, if you want to live well, you have to make your wellness a hobby, a passion, something that you go to when you're bored, when you're excited, when you're curious, you've got to make your life. You have to design your life in a way where your own wellness is always the byproduct and always the result of your curiosity, of your free time, of your hobby. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, it like, let's say that you really love collecting shoes. Great. That's cool. Does it bring you wellness? Awesome. Let's say you love playing the guitar or traveling. If that brings you wellness, go for it. I just think that especially for parents and especially for people that have a large amount of responsibility, our rest and recovery time is very um, small and very finite. And so in those little gaps of rest and recovery, for anyone listening and watching this podcast that has large amount of responsibility, a large amount of responsibility for others, for the care of others, it is even two times more important that we choose to care for ourselves. But the complexity and the intricacy of the way in which we do care for ourselves has to come with strategic thinking and with proactive thinking. In other words, my my calendar is planned out for a month, right? We had this podcast scheduled for like a month. And I knew it was here. I even followed up with you. I was like, hey, are we still doing it? And you and you said yes, because every single part of my life at this stage in the game with two young children is planned. That's a way that I can love myself. I can nourish myself. I can be a responsible father to myself and a responsible father, partner, businessman to everyone else. And everybody is happy and I'm happy. It's because I took the responsibility and I was proactive in the way that I scheduled my life to make wellness still a passion, still a hobby, and still something that the byproduct of that is my own well-being. And if I can just continue to do that, no matter what, which I will continue to do, then at least I know that I'm most likely going to live longer. I'm most likely going to be in a better mood. And most importantly, man, I'm most likely going to be able to give and receive love, you know, to talk about what we talked about in the very beginning of this podcast. I want to be able to give and receive love with you and with everyone else in a way where it's not forced. It's more of just like a natural, relaxed way of being. If I'm choosing to be proactive and nourish and love myself through taking radical responsibility of my own life and my own calendar and my own 
um, entire structure of the framework of responsibility for the things that I am responsible for. Where my mind goes in, goes to is the, the duality because the first part of a conversation is a lot about like the the astral and the spiritual side of things. Now we're getting into the human body side of things. And why I say that is that it's a weird duality when like none of this is real, none of this really matters, but we still have to take care, you know, do workouts, do ice baths, meditate, right. care about love, you know, eat healthy. Like, yes. We have to do those things, but none of it really matters. It's this weird thing in my mind that I'm still sitting with. It's like, how do, how do I even make sense of that, right? That like, this is all an illusion and none of it's really real, but it's so real at the same time. And my quality of this dream is dependent on my health. It's just this weird back and forth I sit with. Do you deal with that ever in your mind? Have you ever played Monopoly? Yeah. What happens in Monopoly if, let's say you're playing with four people and one of your friends starts getting boardwalk, park play, starts winning huge. You could either celebrate and be like, oh, you're doing good, good job. Or you could be angry at him and be frustrated that you're not getting all the good properties. You're not making the money. Well, when we unfold Monopoly, that's I think that's essentially our life. I think money's a game. I think business is a game. I think relationships are a game. I even think on some level being a father is a game. It's a very sacred game. All these, by the way, all these games are super, are very sacred as well. Yeah. And not to get- Little cheat codes in them. Yeah. Like not to get too serious or to get too boastful about my own life or, or life itself. If nothing is everything and everything is nothing and there's no point to anything and there's also everything that's a point, then how do we decide what's the choice point in the middle of all that stuff that actually makes a difference? It's what I choose to breathe into. It's what I choose to look at. It's what I choose to focus on. So if I have a desire, because like I could say this, every single person watching and listening, we all have a desire to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. All of us, we all want that. And if you're saying no to any of those things, I would say you're most likely full of shit because you probably do want all of those things on some level. So how do we get all those things? How do we win at Monopoly and get all the properties, all the money, never go to jail, We practice it and we practice it without attachment and we practice it without attachment and anger and frustration being an identity of who we are. And we practice not putting that onto other people and we practice not keeping it stuck inside of ourselves. That's how you be good at monopoly. That's how you be good at life. That's how you be good at relationships or parenting or whatever it is. Have fun with this shit. It does not have to be so serious like I talked about earlier. Our healing does not have to be this like, soul sucking, just insane process where we're every single day self-reflecting and going to the well. It's like people get drunk on the God of growth in a community of wellness and in a community of spiritual development. It's like, if not every day they're sacrificing to the God of growth, then it means they're on the wrong path. Nope. That's fucking bullshit. Are you playing Monopoly well? And are you enjoying the fruits of your game? Are you moving in the direction of the result that you say you want? That's, I think, the most important thing. I've had a lot of family members that ask me, like, how do you make money, dude? Like, what are you doing? And I make multiple six figures every single year and growing because I treat it like a game. And that's not to say how cool I am or to be boastful or egoic. I'm just saying, like, money was a massive wound for me for so long. It's because I was force fed and I was stuck in the mindset that money meant pain, money's for rich people, money doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is like peace and happiness, all this new age bullshit that is force fed, almost like geese trying to get their liver fat for foie gras. It's like such bullshit. The only thing that really matters is when you unwrap the, the life game, 
Are you playing it well? Are you happy for other people when they're succeeding? You know that you're on the wrong path when you're jealous and when you're envious of someone else succeeding. That's when you know you're not playing the game right. You know you're not playing the game right when you're angry and frustrated and in torture about playing the game itself. That's when you need to take a break from the fucking game. Go sit on a mountain, go to a vision quest, maybe a ceremony. Come back to the game when you have a different mindset on how to play it. Because it is a game and The Matrix is a documentary. And everything that we've talked about on this podcast, it's all great. Some of them might be nourishing to people's hearts and souls. Some of it might be mental masturbation for people that aren't ready to hear it. But regardless of what we explored, the end result gets to be, how are we playing the game? Is the is our actions and our behaviors and our way of being loving? And is it moving us in the direction of the things that we say we want? Because to me, that's that's a life well lived, man. If I'm enjoying it and I'm playing the game with ease and with grace and and you know, there's a smile on my face, like that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And then my son and, and other lineages can can model that. And I think I think that's the way out of all this madness, actually, is to teach. Maybe I'll actually start doing videos on this. This seems like a very important topic. It's a game. It's a fucking game. The whole thing's a game. And it's not to take away from people suffering. I know there's many people suffering in the world. That's the game they're playing. It doesn't mean that I'm um, numb to them or their suffering. It doesn't mean that I don't have compassion for other people's suffering. But how does me having no boundaries within myself, allowing everyone to play my game and taking on everyone else's sadness and emotions, how does that possibly empower me to be a model of how to play the game with love for others? It doesn't. It actually takes away from my capacity to to model that game from a place of love. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a really big take home for all of us today, no matter what. Play the game with love, man. Choose to play it with love. And when you don't, be kind to yourself. Bring yourself back to the board game. Let's play another round. Let's play another hand. Yeah. You know, let's let's be a little more loving this time. Let's be a little more kind this time. Yeah, that was a big mic drop moment. So I'm going to end it there. But just to add my little spin on it is that, like like you said, you have to focus on the game you want to play, but you also have to focus on the game you don't want to play, right? Like we talked about earlier, if it, when you see the, the fear mongering and all the bullshit and you see your mind playing tricks on you and trying to gaslight you into doing something you don't want to do, yes, that's a game you don't want to play, right? Like I, w- I want to play the game of love. I don't want to play the game of fear. And telling yourself, telling yourself and whatever is out there, I'm not playing that game. I'm not, I'm not doing that shit. No. I want to just thank you so much for coming on here and spilling yeah. your wisdom. And I do see you as one of the greats in the podcasting space. So it's an honor, honor to have you here, truly. Thanks, Thank you very man. much. Um, and I love your, you know, you're your leading with humanity, which is cool to see. A lot of people just come on these shows and just show it, show off that they got it all together. And that you lead with your humanity, which I really appreciate. So thank you so much. Oh, dude, thank you for having me. I love your studio. Y'all need to check out all of Lewis, or all of Lucas's episodes. I was saying Lewis because I think one day you'll be like Lewis House. <laughs> um, yeah, man, everybody check out this podcast for sure because and share it. Share this podcast if what we talked about today, you know, myself or Lucas resonated with you. I'm sure it did on some level. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you inviting me, and um, I really have a belief that these conversations do matter. And that they do help people play the game better. Yeah. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But either way, like, I hope this allows you to, to play the game better. Yeah. You know, in this new age world, I see the, the new age behind you. I'm like, God, in the new age, we have got to play a different game. Yeah. If we don't choose to play a different game now, when the fuck else are we going to do it? Yeah. When are we going to decide to play a different game if not in the new age? Yeah. And we'll go, go check out Josh's stuff as well. Yeah. I'll put it in the, in the link in the show notes. But well, Wellness and Wisdom podcast, great podcast. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Thanks, brother, for having me. Of course. Me.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.